Attention, your attention please. The following podcast contains spoilers. If you haven't seen the film yet, then do not continue listening. Thank you. Welcome to the Brothers Grimmer. We are two brothers separated by time and distance, reconnecting through our mutual love of horror movies. I'm Francisco. And I'm Alberto. And you're joining us for... It, 2017 edition. Excellent. We've each seen the movie, obviously, but we have not discussed it. We have had surprise verdicts during the podcast, but I'm very curious to see what sort of letter grade you would give it oh god you're oh, you love the review portion i do i just like the discussion of it but i need to start off with a context for the discussion i hated it i loved it i'm <laughs> mixed i'm confused uh, I'm... i um for this version of it i thought it was very good a letter grade please <laughs> i would give it a solid b all right. And what would you give it? I would give it a B minus. Okay, so we're fairly close. That's pumping it up. It wavers between a C plus and a B minus, yeah. So are you going to give the synopsis? <laughs> no, you're better. You're always better at the synopsis. All right. So before we get started, we're going to give you a brief synopsis. There's a clown. <laughs> The film that we're discussing is It, Chapter One. It's a 2017 horror movie directed by Andy Muschietti. It is a whopping two hours and 15 minutes. The setting is Derry, a small town in Maine. The film opens in October of 1988 when seven-year-old Georgie Danbro is lured into an extended conversation with Pennywise the Dancing Clown who is hiding in a storm drain. When Georgie reaches into the gutter to retrieve a paper boat, Pennywise reveals rows of sharp teeth and bites Georgie's arm off. A crying Georgie begins to bleed to death and drag himself into the middle of the road. Pennywise extends an unnaturally long arm to pull Georgie into the sewers, where he vanishes screaming. Eight months later, in June 1989, George's stammering older brother Bill and his six outcast friends begin to see visions of Pennywise taunting them and tormenting them. They are simultaneously harassed and beaten by a mob of delinquent young thugs, led by Henry Bowers, a psychotic, out-of-control bully. Their lone female member, Beverly, is increasingly abused by her father. All of this culminates in a confrontation deep in the sewers of Derry between the seven losers and Pennywise. And the Psycho Kid. And the Psycho Kid. That's it. That's all I got. Pretty good. Yeah. When you gave your synopsis and you talked about the length of the movie, that it's over two hours, I was surprised, and then I 
I had a mix of emotions. First was, so was it that long? And then I kind of remembered, yeah, I think it felt a little long at the end. But I think that points out my general issue with the movie is it was forgettable. It's been a week since I saw it, and except for one or two instances, it hasn't triggered anything in my psyche or made me think about it. You read the book. I remember that we had the book at home. I read it, but don't remember it. I think it's actually one of the few Stephen King books, maybe the only Stephen King book, that I've started and haven't finished. Fair enough. So on some level, I don't know what the backstory is to Pennywise. That's good. Then you're not comparing it to the book. We're taking the film on its own merits. Absolutely, which was not the case when I saw The Shining. Oh, okay. Boy, that book, I swallowed up (laughs) and it frightened me i remember it was for me it was a double header i read the shining and the amityville horror back to back and they both terrified me (laughs) and when i saw the movie version the kubrick version i hated it It, the book i thought was so much better i know that stephen king felt the same way in this case it was not a book that i loved and the movie is one i didn't love either (laughs) Did you see the 1990 telemovie? I remember seeing parts of it, and it was on TV recently, and I saw parts of it, and I'm, it seemed boring. <laughs> there was a sewer scene when there are adults, and Pennywise seems to be taking on a different form, and uh, <laughs> enough to make me think, oh, I wonder if Pennywise, since I don't remember the book, I, or didn't finish the book, I wonder if Pennywise is some alien or something. So did you see that series? And by the way, do you know the backstory? I did read the book when I was much younger. I have forgotten most of it. I did watch the 1990 telemovie. And I do know a little bit of the backstory. So Pennywise is a extra-dimensional being. Mm. Not quite right to call him an alien. He is a cosmic creature, kind of like Space Jeebus or Space Satan. He's extremely intelligent and ancient. If you were to see him in his true form, he would just be a mass of orange glowing lights. Ah, which we see briefly in the movie when Pennywise opens up his mouth to reveal what looks like three orange Christmas lights inside of his mouth. Oh, so now you've explained what that is. All right. Yeah. And anyone that sees his true form either goes insane, comatose, or instantly dies. It's very Lovecraftian, you know, that entire idea of you're faced with a horror that you can't comprehend and your mind can't handle it, so you go insane. I have a big gap in my horror education with Lovecraft. I hate it. (laughs) You hate it. I just didn't like his style of writing. I love the idea of Lovecraftian things, especially when other directors like John Carpenter take them and run with them, but reading Lovecraft, to me, it was like reading Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I just didn't like the style of writing. It was so awful that I I couldn't get invested in it. I think I must have been curious at some point to even crack open a Lovecraft book, and maybe I felt the same way and have blocked that out, but it's not something I am familiar with, although when people describe his themes, it sounds fascinating. Eldritch horror. It's horror mixed with a lot of mysticism and bizarre mythology that he creates, where humans are complete maggots on the face of some gigantic conspiratorial secret history that the world is really following. The Reanimator movies were Lovecraft-based, right? And those I remember liking. 
Oh, yeah. I only vaguely remember them. I've always meant to revisit them. All right, so you've explained Pennywise for us. Pennywise lives underneath the town of Derry, Maine. This ancient spirit, although that's not revealed. Right. We don't get a lot of backstory in the film at all. He is just a shape-shifting monster. Which brings me let's to one thing I wanted to discuss. So I was completely bored by the opening sequence. Okay, there's this wow. clown in the sewer talking to this kid. I, I pictured it. It's exactly how I might have pictured it. I expected it there to be some sort of jump cut where the kids like swallowed up the end. One of the few things I liked about the movie is when Pennywise chomps off the little kid's, the cutest little kid in history's arm. <laughs> And bites it off. Right. And you hear moaning and you see blood in the water screaming. Yeah. You know. And boy, that was the one surprise for me in the movie. And it came in early. came in the first scene before the titles even come up. And I think that helped me enjoy the movie at least. Because even though I didn't love it, I enjoyed it because I thought, oh, there might be real things at stake here. Yeah. If that scene hadn't happened, I think I would have been really bored throughout the movie. I agree. That opening scene gives so much promise for what's going to follow. It reminds me a little bit of the opening scene from Scream that is so brutal and ruthless. It just sets your teeth on edge. And even in what follows, you're getting to know the main characters. You're getting familiar with all the future victims. It's quite a while before anyone dies again. And no one dies as brutally as Drew Barrymore does in those opening seconds. It really sets the stage. It really builds your expectation, and it builds that dread for what's coming. I was thinking also the very first moment of Get Out, where the young African-American man is walking through the suburban neighborhood at night, and he is being followed by the car. He gets jumped. It looks like he is being strangled to death, and then his body is put into the trunk of the car, it is so upsetting and jarring that you can't help but feel this uh, disquieting sense of upset for the next 20 minutes, even though nobody dies for the next 20 minutes. Well, as you mentioned that, it also reminds me of the opening sequence of It Follows, which we've also discussed here. Oh, yeah. A similar what the hell's happening and brutality. Yes. I wonder if this is, and we've just never noticed it, is this in every <laughs> good horror movie? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> That's a really good question. It's in definitely a lot of horror movies that I like, but I'm still, at the end of the day, not a big fan of this version of It. That may have been my favorite moment, that opening moment with Georgie. We're brothers. We agree. <laughs> so we both like the tone of that opening scene. And can I just say one really quick thing about that opening scene? When Pennywise appears in the storm gutter, his eyes are glowing yellow, like a dog or a wolf. As he is talking in his clowny voice, in his Krusty the Clown voice to Georgie, one of his eyes veers off and becomes a lazy eye, but it seems to focus directly on the audience. That was extraordinarily simple, but very, very, very upsetting. Too bad I missed a spooky, weird moment. <laughs> yeah, it was just, uh... and I think for the rest of the film, he has one lazy eye. It makes him look more like a doll, a shabbily created doll, and also that sense that he is watching us. He's watching the audience with one of his eyes. Let's get to the central issue. Did you like Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise? Yeah, I mean, he was great. 
You think he was, but that hesitation and then say he was great. I was expecting you to say something else. I think this is my overall problem with the entire movie. I feel like everyone's doing amazing work. It is beautifully shot. It is beautifully lit. I mean, it's it's gorgeous to look at. It made me proud as a horror film fan because they obviously respected the material and spent a lot of money because they wanted it to look good. And I appreciate that. And I like that. There's a lot of technical craftsmanship up on the screen, and the actors are all giving it their all. And my only point of hesitation is how effective I find it, because I was not really scared after that opening sequence. I'm trying to think this entire week of why wasn't I scared. I vaguely remember the book. I really remember the 1990 telemovie very well. And enjoyed it? I remember enjoying it for what it was. The first half of it was very engaging, and the second half where it's just the adults is just a mess. To me, it sort of felt a little bit like Stephen King's writing, honestly. He loves getting lost in odd places and spending time with his characters, and there's something kind of shapeless about his stories, and that just doesn't translate well into a TV movie. I'll disagree with you. Like, for example, The Shining, since it's now back in my mind, that had a real arc. Like, you see the mental decline of this main character, and that, I think, that was less complicated, less characters. Yeah, I think anyone would argue that The Shining is a much tighter story than It, which is over a thousand pages long and has about ten main characters and a ton of supporting characters that he spends almost an equal amount of time on. It is a gigantic, gigantic endeavor. But what I was thinking was everything that was fresh and new about the book and even that original 1990 movie has been so borrowed and aped and imitated and stolen by so many other genre films and TV shows since then that a lot of it feels very familiar and kind of old hat and cliched. Agreed. A big deal was made when J.J. Abrams directed Super 8, it's an 80s Spielberg homage. It's just like The Goonies. And it's like, that's not like The Goonies. The, the Goonies, A, was never good. Agreed. And two, was never scary. And J.J. Abrams' movie reminded me so much of It because it is a scary kid's adventure. And I loved it for that. Stranger Things, obviously, the storyline that the youngest kids in the show are following is the scariest storyline of the bunch and reminded me of Stephen King's It a great deal. All right, so where it missed the boat for me, for example, even though that first scene had an effective moment in it, one of the things that it missed the boat on is the CGI. I completely agree. Anytime I see CGI, it takes me out of the situation. And for this movie, it wasn't necessary. You could have done it in prosthetics and it would have been scarier. A similar complaint to what I voiced when we were reviewing Krampus, the challenge here is how long they dwell on it. Whether it's a practical effect or a CGI effect, these things should be fleeting. I'm not saying that they should just be jump scares. Though that happens a great deal in this film as well. It happens several times where Pennywise just bum-rushes the camera. Not scary. Not scary when it's accompanied by shrill chords and a shrieking child chorus.
it just feels overwrought. There's one scene in particular. Stan, the young Jewish kid who's practicing his Torah reading for his upcoming bar mitzvah, his father is the rabbi of their temple. His father is disappointed with his reading. He sends Stan to his office. It's a large, dark office, and inside the office is a very stylized portrait painting of a woman playing a flute. Like a Modigliani. It's very elongated and spare on details. In a moment of distress, the painting drops to the floor, and when Stan picks it up, the woman is missing. So far, so good. I was thinking, this is not bad. And then, in what I thought was a great, chilling shot, behind him, you see an out-of-focus, gigantic figure. Loved it. Drop a flute from its hands with a clang on the floor. I love that moment. Me too. Then we realize that the woman has been brought to life. All the stylistic exaggerations have been left intact. So her face is long and twisted like a cashew or a, a crescent moon. Yeah, not a scary cashew, just a cashew. <laughs> it should be terrifying because it's an abstract image that's been brought to horrific literal light. It's like uh, if you'd seen one of Picasso's women made flesh. It's twisted and perverse. The issue is, even though the scene is relatively dark, the camera lingers on it way too long. I think that that is a failing both in the film that we saw last episode, Krampus, where he had great practical special effects, and in here it's the same thing. The most fleeting, out-of-focus glance was way scarier than seeing the whole thing realized. It reminds me of our discussion about Black Christmas All you saw was a shadow behind two of the characters in the living room, and it freaked me out. It really (laughs) freaked me out, and I was watching it on my laptop, and I'm like, I had to rewind, and yes, there's some, there's movement. It's just all, that's all it took, a dark shadow moving a little bit. That is so scary, because my imagination conjures things up that are scarier than the literal thing on the screen. I think that's why I liked films like The Conjuring and Insidious so much. They do a lot with very, very little. Have you seen Mama, this director's previous film? I have not. Do you do? I didn't. I just watched the trailer before our conversation. It looks like it has a lot of creepy scenes, (laughs) but the villain or the threat is all through CGI. That probably would take me out of it. It's hard to judge a movie (laughs) by its trailer. It does look interesting because Jessica Chastain's in it, and I think she's a great actress, but it looks like he's used CGI in the past. A nice effect was you see wind blowing what you think is the mom's hair, and it turns out to be Pennywise. That is a great moment that gets ruined by CGI a second later. So the kids are in Bill's garage. As they're mapping out the sewers, suddenly the Kodak slide projector takes on a life of its own and begins flipping through family photos, lots of them with Georgie. And Pennywise suddenly appears standing next to Georgie, where his mother was standing a moment before, her red hair getting whipped around her face. And it looks like a Nickelodeon. It looks like uh, one of those old-timey... Carousel. 
Yeah, that that's a great, great scene. The reveal and the kids screaming, not able to stop it. And then a moment later, a gigantic Pennywise jumps out of the screen and ruins it. Yeah, I, it was it ruined it for me. I'm sorry. Everyone around me was actually screaming in delight. <laughs> I was I, I, I just thought that's a big CGI effect. Oh, God, when did I become so cynical? Shall we talk about clowns for a little bit? Yes, let's talk about clowns. So I'm a little brother, and that means that I got a lot of hand-me-down toys and albums and clothes. <laughs> In those hand-me-downs, there were definitely several clown toys. I definitely remember watching Bozo on TV in black and white. I'm the older brother. I don't remember my Bozo toys. What did they look like? Do you remember? I'm sure it'll come back to me, but what? I feel like there were three things. There was a Bozo Jack in the Box. Oh. There was an actual Bozo the Clown doll. And I feel like there was some sort of Bozo wall hanging. It wasn't a toy per se, but I feel like it ended up in my toy chest. Something made of vinyl. It might have been a poster. Maybe it was a leftover of a birthday party. I'm not sure what it was. (laughs) And how did you feel about these did they frighten you or? Yes. Yeah, so, so the six years that we have between us is kind of the generation gap that we see in a film like Toy Story between the Cowboys and Indians kids and the Space Toy kids. Because for me, clowns were never fun or cool or anything that I would ever laugh at. I think they were just scary right from the start. I thought you were going to say you'd found them like antique a little old-fashioned and out of date, but I didn't expect you to say that they were scary. I always thought they were scary. Okay. I always thought they were scary. Because you didn't get to know Bozo's loving personality from watching oh, the show. I don't. Oh, don't. So. See, like, you even saying that he has a loving personality is giving me the creeps. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he did. He was a sweet clown. And what I think of also is Clarabelle from the Howdy Doody show. I never watched Howdy Doody. It was on at the wrong time or something, but I caught a glimpse or two of it and always wanting to catch it on TV. But at that age, I don't remember how, you know, uh, what the schedules were, and I never actually got to see Howdy Doody. What I remember Clarabelle best from was he made a cameo appearance on Happy Days along with Buffalo Bob. Uh, Yeah, just creepy, creepy stuff. Of course, Clarabelle was the clown that couldn't speak, so he always seemed like some sort of frightening disabled person who was communicating only through a honking horn and through mime gestures. That sounds terrifying. (laughs) Well, only because it was. Clowns are the villain of the moment, and American Horror Story, the new season, Cult, seems to feature them. I've not seen it. Have you? I saw the first episode. Will you stick with it? Probably not. Okay. (laughs) I may cut that out. (laughs) I'm not sure. Sometimes a group of clowns can be scary, but it doesn't inherently make me scared. When you see Pennywise, are you scared just because it's a clown? Yes. You are. All right. Let's be perfectly honest about this. Pennywise comes in two flavors, demonic and slightly more demonic. 
There's no moment where he is a fun clown, even when he's talking in that crusty voice. But when he's supposed to be demonic or ultra-demonic, it doesn't scare me because I just see either CGI... CGI effects, opening his head like Pac-Man. Yeah, or just a character in makeup. So in neither case does it spook me out or scare me. I think it's something interesting that they changed the timing of the story because the book takes place in the 1950s. They've moved this film story up to the late 80s. So often in this movie, it will be something else. It will be a leper. The painting? The painting, exactly, the painting. So he'll be other shapes. He'll be the painting of the twisted woman or the leper. And then, to make things worse, he turns into the clown. Because the clown is the scariest thing of all. I think in the books, he would be the clown because a 1950s child would actually like clowns and be attracted to clowns and would want to play with a clown. So there's a conflict there that, oh, I hope the kid doesn't fall for it. But that wasn't the case here. Instead, the clown is the scariest form it can take, so it escalates until it finally turns into the clown form. Although in that opening scene that we both liked, that's the only point where you can see him winning over the little Georgie. You're right. That's the only place where I feel that original idea is left intact. There's a bigger challenge, I feel, with the idea of a villain that can play with your perceptions. Did you see a film called Oculus that came out in 2013? Remind me. It's a film about a family of four that are haunted by a supernatural mirror that induces hallucinations. I did not see it. Both of the parents are driven murderously insane and die in a murder-suicide, and their very, very young children barely survive. One of them is institutionalized. About 11 years later, they reunite when one of them comes out of the mental asylum. The child that is now a young man who thinks he's all recovered has found that in his absence, his older sibling, his sister has actually acquired the mirror that killed their parents, and she wants to destroy it with him, but she wants to first prove that it is what they think it is, which is a powerfully demonic device. She wants to videotape it doing its thing. So they lock themselves in a spooky house, and they try to outwit this malevolent force that can make them hear, see, taste, and ultimately do literally anything. And... You're bringing this up because you found it scary? Well, I bring this up because it's kind of writing yourself into a corner. They don't stand a chance. Narratively, this works. It's really dread-inducing. It's not fun to watch this movie. But it's also kind of a fait accompli. The end is totally preordained. The enemy is simply too powerful. I'm so glad you're bringing this up. (laughs) Because I felt that way in the whole movie. Why doesn't he just kill them? He's so powerful, he can do anything, and the fact that they defeat him when they hold hands didn't seem strong enough to defeat this being that has all these powers. The idea of Pennywise is that he feeds on children. He feeds on their fear more than anything else, and he takes the shape of things that they're afraid of, and he's not really interested in eating them. He only eats them because that is a primal fear that most children are genuinely scared of. Because he seems intent on killing them as opposed to just scaring them as long as he possibly can. 
because he's always rushing at them and you think that's the point as opposed to, wait, I don't think it's well established at all that he just wants to string along the fear as long as possible. In fact, he loses interest in the girl when, after she seems to have killed her father, she no longer feels any fear of anything. That made sense. But you see what I'm saying that didn't make sense? Also, Pennywise kind of belongs to that variety of horror villain that can be only defeated by one's imagination or one's faith, which is kind of an extension of one's imagination, really. So he made me think a little bit of Freddy Krueger. But I feel like the rules are better for Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger can only harm you in, in your dreams. It was never really clear why Pennywise, you're right. He scared them plenty of times. He could have killed them individually at any given moment. But as you're saying, the killing wasn't his purpose, although the movie makes it seem like the killing has to be part of it. I think it would have been more interesting if the scares were so constant. Basically, he'd wear anyone down, and that would be more scary if he destroys these people just by keeping them in a state of constant fear. Rewrite. (laughs) when chapter one appears at the very end of the movie there were audible groans oh no (laughs) (laughs) in the audience including my date how did steven like it i did not see it with steven steven was not interested in going to see it (laughs) my husband was not interested in seeing this movie who did you see it with a large group of friends that I only see once every couple of years now, since many of them have become parents. Our schedules never quite line up, so it was a special treat to see these people and uh, spend some time with these friends catching up. And what was the consensus? I was the one who liked it the least. I think everyone else was, I'd say, pretty much fully behind it. Again, I didn't really dislike the movie. I just thought it was, for me, not especially effective. When Beverly's father is close to molesting her, that was the point of real upset for me in the movie, after the opening scene with Georgie. But beyond that, yeah, none of the supernatural scares really worked on me besides the first one. Their choice of changing the time, how much do you think that's based on the success of Stranger Things? And how did you like it since you lived through that period? They were making references to 80s music that were not 80s music that I grew up with. I didn't grow up with New Kids on the Block. Although millions of people did. Millions of people did, but I have to say that most of the arcane song lyric references were completely lost on me. (laughs) It was merely cute. I don't think anybody wanted to see this movie take place in the 50s. I think you're right. I describe it as sitting in your armchair and enjoying the view. It was cute to see the movie titles from movies from that period up on the marquee. Batman and Lethal Weapon, maybe three? And Nightmare on Elm Street, I think. Oh, I think there was a Nightmare on Elm Street there as well, yes. Uh, a, a later one. Correct. Um, after, after the first three. But I think it, on some level it was a little... I mean, the movie looked great, but the 80s references I don't think were as numerous as I would have liked. Oh, you, you wanted... I wanted more. It was uh, too understated. There should have been more dippity-doo. There should have been more hair mousse. Exactly. There should have been more rubber bracelets, more Madonna references. Of course. Are you eager to see the sequel? Well, since the telefilm, the most disappointing part of it was the second half, the first half of the story, they did a pretty decent job in that telemovie from 1990. They did it again now. I think the biggest challenge is going to be doing that second half. And actually, I would like to see it. I felt like there were two other things that were spoiling this movie for me. 
The first is that even though they make lots of little editorial changes, as any film does, I still remembered most of the major beats of the story. And so in some place of my mind, I knew the kids were going to be okay. I knew that it was only supporting characters that got iced in the first half of the story. The second half of the story, when they're adults, that's when things take a real serious turn and where the casualties become real. You didn't feel tension about the characters throughout the movie. I didn't. I knew they were going to make it out of there. No matter how much they changed characters around, they flipped some personality traits and interests, and they threw them all into a Scrabble bag and came up with a different combination. Basically, the characters were the same. I didn't finish the book, and I didn't finish the—I don't remember the series. But I also didn't feel any tension about these characters. I somehow didn't sense it. It reminds me, though, of one moment where I thought, oh, maybe something is going to happen, and that's when the bully starts carving his full name into one of the loser's uh, belly, and you can actually see him cutting. And I thought, oh, that's real. That's a real danger. That kid who plays Henry Bowers, the psychotic bully, was very good. There was something really unpleasant even watching him. He just felt out of control, screaming. That made my skin crawl a lot more than Pennywise. How do you feel about the fact that every single adult in this movie is terrible? That's something important from both the book and the original TV movie that they focus on, that Pennywise living under the town poisoned everything. So the adults are acting terribly or ignoring the children suffering right under their noses specifically because he has a hideous influence on everything in the town. And I think you can kind of guess that from watching the movie, but boy, that would have been a terrifying element to have a whole town poisoned. That would silence the voice in my head that says, why don't you go to some authority figure? I know the police is corrupt. The chief of police is the father of the psychopath. Yeah. You do feel that the kids are stranded and alienated from the adults, but I think it would have been a nice horror element to explain, even subtly, that Pennywise is the cause of the terribleness of all these adults. At the very end, when they're in the sewers with Pennywise and he is confronting each of them with their fears... The minute that his arms turned into CGI tentacles and CGI crab's legs and CGI spider legs, I couldn't care less about what was happening. I don't know what would have solved that. I think a lot of people love that moment where he could not change shape quickly enough to terrify the kids and they started just beating the shit out of him. I love them beating the shit out of him. <laughs> that, that, that was great. That was satisfying. Yeah, it was very sad. I wanted the kids to wait. I mean, hey, it's not as if I didn't like the kids. I just was not crazy about the villain. I went into the movie, honestly, thinking I was going to hate it. All right. Because of the reasons we've gone through, I ended up enjoying it for a nice New England (laughs) sojourn (laughs) with a few mild, very mild scares. But I didn't mind the trip. I could appreciate the craft that went into it. And I'll look forward to seeing chapter two even though that's faint praise for chapter one. (laughs) Yes. Well, until next time. Au revoir. (laughs) You say until next time. Until next time.
<laughs> the Brothers Grimmer is a production of the Piwacket Podcast Network, all rights reserved. Our music is by Charlie Duggan, age eight. Charlie will not be permitted to listen to this podcast until he is 18 years old. Pennywise, Pound Foolish. So did you, when the, I was trying to, hmm, cut, cut that please. <laughs> don't worry you about know, it. I, 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 you don't have to tell me. I, I, I know what to cut. Even though you've never listened to a Not single true. episode Not true. of our own podcast, I, I work hard to make us both sound good. So never, don't worry about it. Um. I often do not like, and I know this is a not an easy thing to say publicly, but I often don't enjoy Spielberg movies where it's so clear they want you to feel a pang of nostalgia here, or mm-hmm. the light turns a certain way, so you th- you know they want the audience to think, oh, how beautiful, or how romantic, <laughs> or how sweet, or how whatever that emotion is. And it's just too manipulative for me and too obvious. And luckily, I found that this movie was a little short of that extreme Spielbergian tone. Cloying sweetness. Right. Uh, that sense of childhood wonder yeah. that people keep on using whenever they describe Spielberg is, oh, that childish sense of wonder. Which um, I never, for example, in E.T., when the kids are on the bikes, I didn't. And I was close to being a kid at that point, you were a kid, I remember distinctly not feeling what I was supposed to feel and feeling a little chipped by it. Like, okay, am I supposed to go, oh, <laughs> look, they're going again. Their silhouette is against, I mean, it's the logo for Amblin Pictures, so they really think it's an important moment and that it really makes you feel, and I felt nothing. And I was not old, I was a teenager. You're already rejecting things. <laughs> I was rejecting, it was just... But uh, luckily, I didn't find this movie to go overboard. I didn't think it made me feel a lot either, but it didn't turn me off. It didn't disgust me. I'm not sure. By pulling on your heartstrings and trying to push your buttons in a really shameless, obvious way. Exactly. And instead, which is not much better, I felt, oh, this is a nice plush armchair I'm (laughs) sitting in where I'm enjoying beautiful things and all right it's it's a nice town to visit for a long weekend not even now that I know (laughs) the truth but it's a it's a nice little day trip (laughs) you know the other thing that reminds me of is uh anytime on Star Trek (laughs) Whenever they put in some sort of open-ended plot point, it just drives me crazy. Uh, Like on Star Trek Generations, they find a dimension where all your wishes can come true and anything is possible. Well, when you set up that kind of idea, which sounds so fantastic and gigantic, you hit the concrete limits of A, the writer's imagination, and B, the budget of the TV show or the movie really, really fast. 
and oh boy, the payoff is always really disappointing. What are other horror villains that can be defeated by faith? I feel like vampires is a pretty obvious one. Although sometimes it's always surprising in a vampire movie where the vampire grabs the crucifix, crucifix oh, yeah, knocks that's... it out, and it's like, what do you think? This is really going to defeat me? And, and Right. Uh, that happens. That's become its own trope, yeah. yes. The vampire is able to best the crucifix because the person wielding it doesn't really have any faith. Exactly. Freddy Krueger, we had mentioned, just because, hey, he's able to manipulate your perception, but you can use your imagination against him as well. I'm trying to think. If, I feel like that that's a genre, but I'm not thinking of any. It follows. In the end, the kids use their imagination to come up with their own sort of solution to defeat the entity. But the way I remember it follows is that the that there's no defeat. You know these characters are going to die. Yep, yeah, it's, so, it's true. So. It's true. They're, they're not able to outwit. Faith. Faith. <laughs> no, it's a good. It's it a good question because I feel like there have to. I feel like I've seen it. The Exorcist, <laughs> which I'm not crazy about. Yeah, I'm not crazy about it either. But I don't think I've really given it a fair chance, or maybe I've given it so many chances. Cut that. Cut that out. 